A1 Family Church. Pastor Brent here. I am actually sitting right now on the very steps on which Jesus taught and, and healed and fought for justice and righteousness in his city. I'm actually sitting on the southern steps of the temple. If you look right over there, you can see uh, up there, uh, you see an arch, the beginning of an arch. Uh, that was the original exit where thousands, tens of thousands, probably millions actually, of pilgrims, uh, Jewish pilgrims from all over the world would have exited the temple. Uh, and Jesus would be sitting right here, like literally right here on these steps, teaching and preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And people would be coming out. I don't know if you can see the three arches down there, babe, if you can show them the wall down there. That was more the entrance where people from all over the world would come to the temple. They would go into the temple, perform their sacrifices and their, uh, and their religious practices, and then they would come out this gate. Jesus would be here surrounded sometimes by thousands of people preaching and healing and teaching. Uh, what's amazing is if you just look straight over there to my left, you see that large hill right there? That is the Mount of Olives. Uh, it's completely covered over now with a cemetery. Um, there were mausoleums and tombs at that time, but there were, of course, a lot of olive trees. That's where Jesus would often go and pray. Uh, and it's literally maybe, you know, 500 yards from us right now. Um, and when Jesus would say things like, you know, when he was attacking the Pharisees and saying, you are like whitewashed sepulchers, he would point over there where there were these actual mausoleums, uh, and he would say they look beautiful in the sunshine, but they're full of dead men's bones. And these were, this would inform his teaching. If you turn around, babe, and look straight out at the other direction, you can see where there were some terraced farming areas there. I don't know if you can see that in the, in the video. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there, if he was preaching about a grain of wheat falling into the ground, I mean, you would look out there and there would be, you know, uh, wheat and there would be different plants. Uh, there would be sheep and goats um, filling this market, walking around here. He would point to them and he would say, you know, um, uh, the talk about the parable of the sheep and the goats. I mean, he would use everything that was right here. Let me show you this real quick too, babe. Turn all the way over here. Follow me up here real quick. This, these stones up here, come on up here. These stones here are the actual stones of the temple of the original temple. These are the stones that King Herod put into place. Now you notice right above these stones, it turns into a different pattern. That's because the, this entire temple was destroyed. Jesus even said, not one stone will be set upon another. It, this entire wall was knocked down uh, and this only the, the bottom layer uh, survived. But if you think about it, Jesus was, was coming here to this massive temple and I can't even, explain to you how massive it was. It, it's, it's, it's immense. But he was coming here and he was worshiping and praying at the temple. And then he began to teach and preach that in fact he was the temple. That his body was the temple of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Almighty God. And then of course we know that he ultimately preached that you are the temple. That you are the, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And all of this that you see, this massive temple, he was looking at this and he was saying, as much as this, the, the presence of God is manifest in this glorious temple, in that very same way, the presence of God 
the Holy Spirit is manifest in your life. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is just absolutely mind-blowing. Uh, we can't wait to get back and share more and more of this that we're learning with you. Um, but today, uh, you are in great hands. Uh, we're wrapping up our trip here. We'll be back next week. Today, Pastor Mark Seagraves is going to come back up here and present part three of our one series. Know that we love you. We miss you. Can't wait to get back. But today, would you just put your hands together and give a warm, one family welcome to Pastor Mark Seagraves. Come on up here, Mark. Love you, man. Come on up. Looking forward to uh, Pastor Brent and Rebecca getting back in the next couple of days. I'm sure they've had an incredible time. Can't wait to hear more uh, about what they experienced and saw uh, over there. I'm going to continue on with our series today that we're calling One. Uh, Pastor Brent actually launched this series a few weeks ago, kind of in conjunction with the transition of our name from U-City Family Church to One Family Church. And um, so he spoke uh, a few weeks ago about One Family, and man, just a powerful message. Again, if you weren't here that day, I encourage you to to go to the website and check that out, listen to that. Last week, we talked about our One Mission uh, as a church family, and that is to bring people and God uh, together in love. And so today, I want to go just in a little bit different of a direction and talk about uh, something that I believe God is doing uh, right now in many, many lives and hearts here in this place today. And so we're going to start in just a moment with uh, Isaiah 43. Um, Let me ask you this. Have you ever been around somebody that is just uh, so negative and kind of consumed with their own mistakes and faults and failures to where they actually say that once in a while, like, I'm, I'm such a failure, I'm such a failure, and, and uh, you, you respond to them by saying, can't you just be positive for a minute? And they respond to that by saying, I'm positive that I'm a failure, right? I mean, that's kind of, right? Have you ever been around somebody like that? So as we get into Isaiah 43, that's actually the mentality of Israel. Uh, it's a time in their history when they are Uh, in exile from their homeland, Uh, and literally every day that they wake up and they see where they are, it's a reminder to them of the mistakes of their past that actually resulted in their uh, captivity and into this mindset stuck on failure and sin and discouragement from their past, God says this to them in Isaiah 43. He says, forget the former things. Forget it. Do not dwell on the past, and I love this phrase, see I am doing a new thing. Anybody just want God to do something new in your life today, right? See I am doing a new thing, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? And I love this, he says, I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland or the wilderness. That that is an incredible word for a nation that is wallowing in their past And I believe it's an amazing word for somebody in this place today. In fact, I believe what he's saying to you in your life today is that he is going to make a way or a road or a path in a place where it seems like there has been no path. And the word that comes to me about that is direction, that there are a lot of people in here today and you're looking for direction in some area of your life. And God says there is going to be direction for you. But he also says there are going to be streams in the wilderness. One translation says rivers. In other words, there is going to be life-giving water in a place that has been undeveloped or underdeveloped in your life. And I feel like the word for you is provision. Not just financial provision, but provision in any area that you might 
Israelite lack, there is going to be water in the wilderness. This is what God is saying, I believe, that no matter how many times that you have failed, no matter the depth of darkness that you have lived in, no matter how discouraging your past seems as you live it over and over again in your mind, God is saying, I am doing something new in your life. Can somebody say amen to that? And I really do believe that the answer... Uh, for many of us today, is going to be found in the ability to let some things go in our life and focus in on one thing. Everybody say one thing. thing. We're going to focus in on one thing that changes everything. So this is how the Apostle Paul described this process in his life uh, as he was going after what God had for him. He says, no, dear brothers and sisters, Philippians 3, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Everybody say one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. I forget the past. I look forward. I focus on this one thing. I realize that uh, in our life, so much of the time, uh, our life is full of a million different questions, uh, but I want to talk just for a few moments this morning about the only two questions that really matter in order to unpack that one thing that will make all the difference in our lives. So let me begin by just sharing with you the first question. It's God's question for me. And by the way, if you don't have your notes uh, to take notes, if you don't want to do it that way, you can actually go to version, click on more down in the right-hand corner, and then click on events, and you'll see one family church with all of the message notes there. But uh, God's question for me. So this is Matthew chapter 16. And uh, starting in verse 13, Jesus is speaking with his closest followers, and he says this, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? I want to know what your perspective is about what everybody else is saying about me, Jesus says. So they respond and they said, well, some people think that you are John the Baptist and some people think that you're Elijah or even Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But then comes the question. He says to them, but who do you say that I am? That is God's question for me. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter in this context answered and said, you are the Christ the Son of the living God, and we'll come back to that in just a moment. So who is Jesus? Think about the implications of that question because the answer to that question has impacted cultures. It has shaken philosophies. It has altered the course of human history. It has shaped in some way the identity of every single human being alive. Who is Jesus? Peter answers by saying, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Think about how powerful of a declaration of the identity of Jesus that is, but this is actually not the first time that the question has been answered. It's not the first time that someone has made a declaration about who Jesus was. Early in his ministry, as Jesus is gathering disciples to himself, uh, one of the disciples is bringing another man by the name of Nathaniel to Jesus. Jesus has never met him, never had a conversation with him, never seen him before. But as Nathanael is nearing where Jesus was, Jesus speaks and says, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. In other words, Jesus had some kind of supernatural, miraculous knowledge of who Nathanael was and what he was like before he ever met him. And so Nathanael is surprised and he responds to him by saying, 
How do you know me? We've never met. Jesus answers and says to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Somehow, Jesus saw spiritually, supernaturally, where Nathaniel was and what he was doing, what he was even thinking about under that fig tree before they ever met. Nathaniel knew that this was a miracle, that there's no way for Jesus to know this physically. And so in response to this miraculous confrontation, Nathaniel answers and says to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Almost identical to the statement or the declaration that Peter made about Jesus. But I want you to watch Jesus' response to Nathaniel. You would think he would just, whoo, man, you got it right. Can't believe it. I, I am the Christ. I am the Son of God. I am the King of Israel. But Jesus is not impressed by Nathaniel's declaration. And here's the reason why. It says this, Jesus answered and said to him, John 1, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open up and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So he says, Nathaniel, that's great. You got the answer to the, to the question right, but, but my real question is, how did you come to that conclusion? Is it because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree? Is it because through your physical senses, you discerned that a miracle had taken place, that something supernatural had taken place, and that's why you believe? Let me tell you something. You're going to see greater things than these, an incredible revelation of who I am. The, the problem with Nathaniel was that he was basing his knowledge of Jesus on his physical senses, what he could observe with his physical eye. But let's go back to Jesus' reaction to Peter as Peter answers the question of who Jesus is. And Peter says basically exactly what Nathaniel says. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answers Peter and says to him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Think about this for just a moment. Peter has walked with Jesus for years. He has seen blind eyes opened. He has seen dead people raised up. He has seen leprosy healed. He has seen miracles and signs and wonders. But Jesus says, I'm hearing you say, Peter, who I am, and I'm recognizing that this is not based on just something that you observe with your physical eye, but you have received a supernatural revelation of who I am from my Father who is in heaven. And because of that, I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Same answer, but based on different evidence. Nathaniel's relying on his five senses. Peter is basing his statement on a revelation from God. I think about even in John chapter 2, if you read down through John chapter 2, you'll find that there are people gathering around Jesus, and Jesus is doing miracles and signs and wonders, and the people are so excited about the miracles that they are seeing with their physical eye that they say, let's make Jesus our king. Let's just, let's just make him the king right now. And Jesus responds by, by walking away because he knows that they are only saying that about him based on something that they can sense with their physical senses. And once the sensation is gone, their faith will be gone. In fact, that's kind of the 
That's kind of the, uh, the macro picture of it in John chapter 2. If you look, that's the crowd's view. But if you skip to John chapter 3, now we're looking at more of a micro. This is, this is actually one man. You remember the story in John chapter 3 where Nicodemus actually comes to Jesus by night, kind of sneaks in, and he has this conversation. And this is what he says to Jesus. He says, Jesus, he says, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God because no man could do what you are doing unless God be with him. Jesus' response to Nicodemus is to say, you got the answer to the question right, but you came to the conclusion based on the wrong evidence. And he says, Nicodemus, this is what I'm going to say to you. The answer's right, but unless you are born again, no man can see the kingdom of God. You think you're seeing it because you're basing it on your physical senses, but something supernatural has got to happen in order for you to see the kingdom. So as we go to Peter here, he's basing his statement on a revelation, something that he had seen from God wasn't relying on the miracles that he had seen, but something that happened much deeper on the inside. Peter was actually understanding the association between the visible and the invisible realms. And he was listening not just to a dry theology from the past, but to what God was speaking at that moment. The living voice of God. See, this is an important question, not just the answer to who Jesus is, but how we arrive at that conclusion. This is why it's so important, and that's because a lot of people have reduced a relationship with God down to correct doctrine. Nathaniel got that. He had his facts straight, but Jesus didn't rejoice over that. Other people might kind of boil down their relationship with God down to correct behavior. And Nathaniel actually gets points for that too because Jesus said, here's a guy that doesn't have one bit of deceit in his life. But the problem was that Nathaniel had yet to encounter the presence of God in such a way that he could move beyond the realm of his natural senses and begin relying on a higher order of interaction and communication with God. And this is what I'm believing is going to happen for somebody here today, that there will be a transformation in our way of thinking. And it's something that only can happen by the power of God working in our life. And that takes answering, takes us from answering the question based on the whims of our senses to a certainty fueled by faith that will be unshaken even when our circumstances and situations change. Talking about a transformation in thinking where we stop getting caught up in questions like what, when, where, why, how. Because those questions and their answers lead to religious activity. But we begin to be consumed with who. Because that question leads to relationship. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the one who saved me. You're the one who removed the barrier between God and man. It's because of you that I can be in relationship with God. You see, when you come to the right conclusion about this question based on the right evidence, something that God is doing deep on the inside of you, this is what God reveals for you in your life. Write this down if you would. Number one is he reveals who I am. This goes straight to our identity. In in this context, as he's talking to Peter, he's actually named Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon the son of Jonah. But Jesus says, you are going to be named Peter which is a Greek word. It's actually a masculine form of the word rock, Petros. You are Peter. Gave him a new identity. That that shows me that my identity is wrapped up in my relationship with him and that he gives me a better name than the world could ever give me. Gives me a better relationship than the world could ever give me. I love that because you're not going to be Simon Barjona anymore. You're going to be Peter, a rock. 
But then the second thing that he reveals to me is what he is doing. Not just who I am, but what God is doing. And Jesus actually uses the renaming of Peter to give us a little bit of a play on words here from the Greek. He actually uses this phrase, epitaute petra, which is a petra there is the, is the feminine form of the word rock. And he's using that as a playoff of Peter's masculine name, Petros. And he says, upon this rock, or in other words, upon this revelation, not just the fact of who I am, but as people are transformed in their thinking about who I am to the point where it impacts them at the deepest level, that's something that I can build my church on. And that is a church that hell cannot stop. So he reveals, as I'm answering this question from the deepest part of who I am, he reveals who he is, and he reveals what he is doing, and then he reveals how I can participate. To Peter, he says, listen, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And you can bind on earth, and it'll be bound in heaven. If you bind it in heaven, it'll be bound on earth. We're going to work together, God says, to change the world. And I'm believing that this transformation is going to happen for many of us today, and i, I got to tell you, this is not a one-time transformation because I find myself every once in a while slipping from this side to this side. We talk about this in our Freedom Life group all the time. This way of thinking becomes this way of thinking because my day got shook up a little bit. I'm, I'm still learning. I'm praying that in my life and in your life that this transformation is happening as we're, as we're hearing this word that our thinking is changing and there's a move from relying upon our senses to something much, much deeper, a revelation that has come from God. Here's what's going to happen. If I answer this question right, it's going to result in my question for God. He had a question for me. Now I've got a question for God. And if this is where my heart is, if I'm that consumed with who he is and I've realized it at the depths of who I am, my question is going to mirror a question that was asked by the psalmist in Psalm 27. And this is what the psalmist wrote. He said, I have asked the Lord for one thing. Everybody say one thing. I have asked the Lord for one thing. One thing only do I want. I want to live in the Lord's house all my life. I want to marvel there at His goodness. And I want to ask for His guidance. That one thing kind of expressed in three different ways. I've asked the Lord one question. This is what I want. If you've ever felt like life was just this crazy mix of dreams and motives and thoughts and activities and challenges and crises and you could hardly find order in your day, this is the secret. If you get the answer to the first question right, who Jesus is, it's going to lead you to the one thing that will change everything. And here the psalmist is praying. He's there. He's got the question answered in his spirit. God, there's only one thing I want to ask you for. Not a better job. Not a better house. Not not a better car, not a better spouse. Somebody said, oh God, oh me. <laughs> That's not what I'm looking for. I want to live in your house. Write this down. I want to live in his presence. If I know the answer to his question for me, this is the result of it. I want to live in his presence forever. This is what Psalm 16, 11 says. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There is nothing like being in the presence of God. 
And I want to encourage somebody today because you have been caught up in your behavior. You have been caught up. You're in the process of being transformed to become more and more like Jesus, but you don't have it all right yet. And I don't have it all right yet. I don't have my ducks in a row. I had some, somebody who actually told me one time, said, I can't even get my ducks in the same pond. My ducks are everywhere. It's like we cannot get this together. And because we analyze God's perspective of us based on our abilities in the process of transformation, we think that God has somehow left us or abandoned us or is not happy with us. And I want to tell you here today that he has not left you. He is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. In fact, Psalm 139 actually says this, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Can't get away from the presence of God. And there's nothing like spending time in his presence. I, I, I got to stop here just for a moment. I, I got to give a couple of advertisements. Because one of the things about our church family, we have a passion for prayer. We've got an awesome prayer team, prayer ministry. And, and the goal, the vision of our prayer ministry is to see every person in our church family praying. And so we're creating opportunities, more and more opportunities for people to participate in prayer in order to just live in the presence of God. And one of those things that's actually starting up here on August the 6th, on Saturday morning. I'm sorry, did I say August? Yeah, it's yeah, that's a long way off. Let's try April. It's actually going to start on April the 6th here in just a couple of weeks on Saturday morning at 8 a.m. as we're starting a weekly Saturday morning prayer time, much like our 21 days of prayer. There's going to, it'll start with worship. We'll have individual prayer. We'll come together again and have a time of corporate prayer. But one hour on Saturday mornings, I cannot tell you how excited I am about getting into the presence of God with you. And I want to encourage you, anytime that you're available, I want to just jump in and be a part of that because it's going to be an amazing time in the presence of God. But there's also also another way that you can actually uh, get in the presence of God, and that is by joining something that we're calling our prayer shield. The prayer shield is a group of people. It's actually anybody in our church. Anybody can participate. And all you have to do basically is get on our website and go under the prayer ministry and click on prayer shield and download an app, and you'll be, you'll be following our prayer feed. And what's going to happen is every single week on the Monday of that week, you're going to get a list of prayer requests, and you're gonna, it's going to be praying for needs that have been submitted to the church, praying for our uh, team, for the staff, praying for events that are happening at the church, all kinds of things to pray for, missionaries and, and different ministries that we support. And that's going to come in every single uh, Monday. And so you're making a commitment. I'm going to pray throughout the week for these things. But also, when we have an urgent need that comes in, we're going to be able to submit those through that app. You're going to get a notification on your phone, and you're going to already be praying. I love it. We haven't even launched it yet. We're not, we're not launching it until April the 1st, but you can sign up now. But there's already like 20 people that have signed up. And so every day, I'm getting reports, this need has been prayed for this many times and this needs been prayed for and this needs I love it because people are spending time in the presence of God and communicating with the one who really does answer prayer does anybody believe that amen so I want to encourage you to get to, to be a part of the prayer shield because that's for our whole church family because being in the presence of God is such a powerful powerful thing this is what the psalmist says as he goes on he says while I'm there in your presence I'm going to marvel at your goodness. In other words, I'm going, to, I'm going to lift up your name. You can write that down. That's what I want to do. I want to live in your presence, and I want to lift up your name. The reason why I say that is because in the Old Testament mindset, when it comes to a name, the name is not just what we call a person. It's actually wrapped up in who that person is and what that person has done 
or is capable of doing. This is what Psalm says in Psalm 113 and verse 3. From the rising of the sun until the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. That means all the time. We're saying, God, you are my healer and my savior and my deliverer and my provider. You are everything to me, right? I, I, love the, I love the psalm that actually says, some trust in horses and some in chariots, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. The reason why, it's not just remembering how it's pronounced. It's not just remembering the letters, but for them, every time that they would say the name of God, it would remind them of something that he had done. They would say Elohim, and they would realize, oh, you're the strong one. They would say Adonai, and they'd realize, oh, you're, you're the the mighty Lord or he'd say they'd say you're Jehovah Shammah and they would say oh you are God who is present with me some are going to trust in horses and chariots I'm going to remember the name of the Lord I want to lift up his name I've got to to skip down let me give you the last one last one so important I want to live in your presence and I want to lift up your name but I want to listen for your voice I want to listen for your voice Jesus said in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, but he answered and said, it is written. This is in response to the temptation Satan was bringing against his life. It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. It's interesting, this is the King James Version, but that E-T-H ending, even though it sounds archaic, it actually has a meaning. That is the language behind it actually carries with it the idea of every word that continues to proceed out of the mouth of God. I don't know how much time you spend in scripture it's such a powerful thing we have an awesome scripture ministry here Holly right here wave, wave, wave your hand. scripture ministry right here it's a great way to get involved in the scripture I don't know how many times you've been reading something maybe the same passage you've read a million times but this time when you read it it's like the words leapt off the page and became a living breathing word to you right there in that moment God is speaking to me through this is what I'm all for I want to listen for his voice because I need direction in my life. Does anybody need direction in your life? Just sometimes when you just need God to speak into a situation, this is the result. The result of answering that first question, God's question for us, is that he's going to reveal some things. He's going to reveal who I am, what he's doing, how I can participate. But it's not just about religious activity. I want to get so caught up in who he is that it makes me never want to leave his presence makes me never want to stop blessing his name makes me never want to stop listening for his voice I need him would you stand with me there's an old song that says this I need thee oh I need thee would you sing that with me Every hour I need Thee, oh bless me now, my Savior, I come to Thee. Just sing it one more time. I need. 
just declare we need you we're hungry for your presence we want more of you in our life and I just pray today for every person here I believe you're doing something new in the lives of so many people here today there's direction for people there's provision for people and it's found in you and I just pray today that you would allow your Holy Spirit to bring about a supernatural transformation in our thinking that we would embrace who you are not because we're relying on physical senses but because you've revealed yourself to us on a much deeper level left us with an unshakable faith. God, our desire is to live in your presence. God, our desire is to celebrate your goodness. Find direction from our lives by listening to your voice. I pray that this would be a reality for every person in this house as we turn our hearts to you in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody that receives that, would you just say amen? Amen. Why don't you find somebody as you're walking out the doors today and just tell them, I need Jesus. One Family Church, have an awesome week. I love you guys. We'll see you next Sunday in Jesus' name. God bless you.